All right, we're in Judges chapter 16 after all that. Judges chapter 16. The topic, no longer endued with God's spirit, Samson is captured, blinded, and sentenced to grinding meal in a Philistine prison. The title of our message, The Daily Grind. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we take one final look at Samson and his life in ministry, I pray that we would see so many things, Lord, that speak to our own hearts here in the 21st century. That we would, of course, understand the text in its context, but the real context, Lord, is the application to our lives today as those who love you and want to serve you. I pray that we would learn from Samson's mistakes, uh, not to make them, and that we would thank you for your grace overall. And we do thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. Jim Croce, he's saying you don't tug on Superman's cape. Normally good advice. But in the feature film Superman 2, the man of steel temporarily relinquishes his power because he's in love with Lois Lane. Only as strong as the average human, he promptly gets beat up by a bully in a diner. The waitress turns on the television to try to get things back to normal. Moments afterward, the President of the United States, speaking on behalf of all the leaders of the world, announces that the planet has surrendered to General Zod of Krypton. At the end of his scripted speech, the President yells out, Superman, can you hear me? Superman, where are you? Christian, have you ever thought of yourself as having superpowers? If you don't like the word super, substitute supernatural. After all, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that you are a new creation. Romans 8.11 says that the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that powerful spirit, lives within us. In 1 John 4.4, we read that he who lives in us is greater than the malevolent supernatural being who is the current God of this world. And then in Philippians 4.13, a favorite of ours, we're told that we can do all things through Christ strengthening us. I'll bet you can think of a few other verses that highlight the supernatural power that's provided by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Since all that is true, why is it we do not always walk in victory? Why do we sometimes feel so defeated? Where are you, super Christian? Samson may provide some answers. Samson was something of a superman, empowered by the Spirit to do incredible feats of strength. But he did not always walk in victory and was for a time, at the end of his life, completely defeated. What was his downfall? Well, like Superman, Samson was in love, but it wasn't with Lois Lane. He was in love with a prostitute who betrayed him for her own profit. He relinquished his power for her only to be left blinded and bound. There's a similar love that can cause us to relinquish our supernatural power. It's the love for this present world. The apostle John warned us saying, do not love the world or the things in the world. Love for the world and the things in the world is at least one reason we might be defeated. And so we want to see if that's true of us as we work through these verses. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, reckon that your strength is not like that of other men. And number two, refuse to relinquish your strength to be like other men. Verses one through three, we're talking about reckoning your strength, seeing ourselves as strong in the Lord. Now, obviously, I enjoy superhero movies. What I don't enjoy in some of them is superhero angst. In every reboot of Superman, there's attention given to young Clark Kent having angst because he can't do the things the other boys do. 
He can't play football, for example. Well, he could, but it would be a little bit one-sided. Wouldn't be fair and it wouldn't be fun. At some point, he always exclaims, why can't I be like everyone else? You know why? Because you're Superman. That's why. Give me a break. Do I want to letter in high school sports or do I want to save the world? No brainer there. At many points in our Christian lives, sometimes daily, part of us can yearn for the world and the things of the world. Our children are a good example. If you are raising children to be godly, there's a separation from the world. They will eventually and then repeatedly ask you, why can't I be like everyone else? Why can't I do what all my friends are doing? As grown-ups, we don't say those exact words, but we can sometimes look longingly back on the world and the things of the world and be willing to relinquish our being strengthened to overcome the world in order to simply be like everyone else. Whether we grow tired or weary or whether it's a lust, we want to go back to things in the world that we've been saved from and be like everyone else. And so we need to quit with the angst. We're part of saving the world by bringing forth the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to those who are perishing. Is being a living sacrifice and a disciple who daily picks up his cross really worth it? Well, you bet it is if you're walking with the Lord and are part of the gospel mission. Samson's great strength is an illustration for us. What he was empowered to do physically, we should see ourselves empowered to do spiritually. We are not like other men. Let's see just how strong in the Lord Samson was so that we can believe how strong in the Lord we are. And so verse one, now Samson went to Gaza, saw a harlot there and went into her. Gaza was a city deep in Philistine territory, one of its major cities. Commentators are all over the place on why Samson went to Gaza and if he should have even gone there. I remembered something interesting about Gaza. We're told in Joshua chapter 11, none of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Now, if you uh, go back to Joshua and see what he's talking about, when the children of Israel first explored the promised land, they saw giants in the land. And they came back and reported to Moses, the 10 spies said, we cannot go in the land. There are giants there and we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Uh, and now we're seeing here that later on, all the giants got run out of that area and were down in Philistine territory. Now the giants hearken back to Genesis chapter six. We did a whole series on Wednesday night about this. When the Bible talks about these giants, they are, uh, the word is Nephilim. They are the offspring of fallen angels and human females. And people say, well, how did they exist after the flood? Since they were all wiped out in the flood, it must have happened again because you find giants all over the Holy Land during Joshua's conquest up until the time King David and his mighty men finally eradicate the last of the giants. And so I'm just speculating, but the Anakim... These Nephilim, these giant offspring, were living there. And perhaps Samson went to Gaza to confront these giants. He was, after all, Israel's hero. And it didn't seem that anything could touch him. He was invincible in all of his battles that we've read so far. And it would be just like Samson to go down there to take on these giants. Uh, and it would be just like God to lead him down there uh, in, in the same way. You remember Doug the dog in the Pixar film Up? He could talk through his electronic collar. He would be talking like this to you and then squirrel, 
and, and then he would lose his train of thought. Whatever Samson's reason for going to Gaza, he sees a prostitute and his hormones yell, squirrel, and that was it. We are never going to know why he went to Gaza because the rest of the narrative is about him and Delilah. And so when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night saying, in the morning when it's daylight, we'll kill him. Wishful thinking. Uh, This is as good a strategy as any, but they're putting off the confrontation as long as possible because Samson has a tremendous reputation, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, And and so at best, he was a difficult target. And so they they surrounded the city. They're waiting at the gates. They think they're going to jump him. Verse 3, Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Samson decided to check out of the brothel early. The gates of the city would have been locked and guarded. Not a problem. He just picked them up and carried them off. I read a scholarly paper by an archaeologist on the gates of Gaza. Using the gates of other known cities that they found as a model, the author estimated, and this is a conservative estimate, that the gates described here could have weighed as much as 10 tons. Now, if you're following my notes, you can see that I don't know how to do math because then I say 2,000 pounds, which should be 20,000 pounds. And so uh, I am the product of my own drug addiction. But anyway, 20, uh, t- uh, 10 tons, 20,000 pounds. If I did my research right, the world record for the clean and jerk is around 550 pounds. Samson lifted a lot more than that. And I might add that it didn't matter if those gates weighed 10 tons or 100 tons. Uh, You've seen those strongman competitions where guys are carrying refrigerators and pulling tractor trailers and all that. They're like, you know, straining along to get that. Uh, None of it would have mattered because Samson was empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is telling us that Samson could do anything he wanted physically. And I don't think we need to see Samson straining either. If, the movie, if there was a movie about this, it would be, you know, and his rippling and his veins popping and all this stuff, you know, spit coming out, finally gets these things. This, he just went and, you know, picked up, like the closet door. You know those, those uh, hollow closet doors that you have to take off every now and then? Yeah, here. And that's it. He just picked this thing up and carried it. Now, a weightlifter holds the clean and jerk for a few seconds. Samson walked 40 miles to Hebron, some of it uphill, would have taken him, normal walking, 20 hours. So for 20 hours, he was carrying at least 20,000 pounds on his shoulders without skipping a step, no stumbling, didn't hydrate. I mean, he just went for it. It's an incredible physical feat. And it's no wonder that none of the Philistines who may have been awakened dared to challenge him. Anybody, if you're thinking, well, why didn't they attack him? Yeah, why didn't they? I wouldn't have. That would have been it. I, hey, let the guy go. He wants the gates that bad, he's got them. Samson removed and carried away the gates of Gaza. It reminded me there are a set of gates that Jesus has obliterated. He once said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. Gates represent power. In context, Jesus was telling us that he would conquer the power of death and hell. By his own death and resurrection, the power of hell would be obliterated for those who believe in him. Death would lose its fear. Do you ever dwell on the fact that when you die as a believer, you're immediately absent from your body and present with the Lord? 
or that you might never die. The Bible says that you could be raptured, translated in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and that when you are, Jesus has prepared you a heavenly home. And so the gates of hell cannot prevail against you and I. They have been obliterated, carried away by Jesus Christ. But it isn't just for eternity you're strengthened by the indwelling spirit. It's for living right now. I pointed out before, Samson was an average-looking Jew. He wasn't a muscle-bound gym rat. His strength came totally from God. We tend to think that only spiritually muscle-bound believers can achieve victory in Jesus. You know, those guys and gals who never miss their devotions, they pray all the time, in every way they seem practically perfect, and they let you know that they are. Hey, how you doing? I'm a little bit tired. That 3 a.m. wake-up call so I can spend two hours in prayer. That was rough after being up all night in prayer. Wow, how's your Bible reading? I read the Bible yesterday. Really? I guess, man, I'm a loser in comparison to you. And so, but there is, regardless of the exaggeration, I think we all have the idea that I need to be spiritually muscle-bound to really walk in victory. And that if I'm being defeated, it's because I just haven't read enough, I haven't prayed enough, I haven't fasted enough, I haven't had communion enough, I haven't done anything enough to have real victory. And what we learn from Samson is that the average believer, if there's an average Joe or you know Jane believer, they're just as able to have victory in Jesus as any other believer because the power comes from the Spirit who indwells us, not from our willpower or our discipline or our personal strength. Those things might be important, and, and, and they are, but they're important for other reasons. What we learn from Samson is that even a knucklehead can have incredible power. And in his case, it was physical. In our case, it's spiritual. The average everyday believer is more than a conqueror enabled to be an overcomer. You can obey the Lord. You can say no to sin, reckoning yourself dead to sin but alive to God. Maybe your problem isn't sin. Maybe it's a trying circumstance. You're empowered to endure. And let me say this about victory. When we think victory, we think ticker tape parade. We see the sailor kissing the girl. You know, everything's, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Sometimes victory is being able to endure a situation that you want to leave badly uh, because it's so hard. But in the spirit, you can do it because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 1 John 5, 5 asks, who is he who overcomes the world? It is he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. And so the question is, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? And for most of you, you say, yes, of course. And we've been born again. Then you can know that you can overcome the world. Is it, could it really be that simple? It's not simple. It took Jesus coming to earth as a man dying and rising from the dead and sending his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. But if you can buy all of that, then yeah, it's simple. I believe that, therefore I can overcome the world. Reckon it to be true and walk in that strength. Now in verses four through 31, you wanna refuse to relinquish your strength to be like other men. You don't have to chase the squirrel. Samson did and he regretted it. Verse four, afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Since her name means devotee, the commentator suggests she might have been a temple prostitute there at the temple to Dagon. Samson fell in love with the wrong girl. Do you realize it's possible to fall in love with the wrong person? And here's what I mean. 
people fall in love either before they get married or sadly after they get married with someone else that they're not supposed to be in love with. And they think because they're in love, it cancels out obeying God. There's something about, well, I'm in love. I feel love. And so, well, how about you feel God? It's telling you that you shouldn't be in love with this person. This is the wrong person for you. But they, they get all Twitter-pated, I guess, and they are willing to disobey God and to follow their feelings. And so it's clear Samson fell in love with the wrong girl. It was wrong from the beginning, and it was wrong at the end. Verse 5, And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Entice him. Find out where his great strength lies, and by what means he may overpower, we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. This is an enormous sum. I'm guessing the Philistines knew that Samson's strength came from the God of Israel. They were well aware of the Exodus, the conquest of Canaan by Israel. They would also have known what the Bible calls the doctrine of Balaam, that if a Jew was walking with God, he was invincible. But if you could get him to disobey, then God would discipline him for you. He would do the work for you. I think they were wanting Delilah to get Samson to somehow cross the line with God. God is so gracious. You'd think Samson had already crossed the line, but God was still using him, still empowering him. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength uh, was not known. Samson must not have had really good situational awareness. We're going to see these guys lingering in the room. In the first Mission Impossible movie, there's that scene where Tom Cruise is talking to his handler and he goes around the room because he recognizes agents from earlier that evening. He can point each one out. You want your hero to have situational awareness, not to go, hey, what are these guys doing here? They're laying in wait to capture you, idiot. How crazy was Samson? The minute Delilah started quizzing him about his strength, asking about binding him, he ought to have run away. How crazy am I when I toy with sin? I know it wants to bind me, but instead of fleeing, I'm drawn further in, thinking I can stop whenever I want. And I know that the devil is laying in wait. He's all around me, just waiting for me to cross some line and bind me or sadly rebind me in some area. Then Delilah said to Samson, look, you've mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes, bound him with them, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. I was struggling trying to think of a way to comment on this when I realized that the point is that sin makes you an idiot. That's the comment. If any of us are lying in, uh, playing around with sin, it's idiotic. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. Now we can't be sure how old Samson was at this point. He must have been 40 at least. His hair had never been cut his whole life. And to manage it, he wore it in seven braids. 
China's Xi Kuoping is on record as having the world's longest hair. It measured a little over 18 feet in 2004. That's the Guinness World Record. 18 feet of hair. Judges 16, 14. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. It came to pass. She pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. He told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head. I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, part of the Nazarite vow was that all the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. And so when you took a Nazarite vow, you would shave your head, and it would last a certain period of time when you wouldn't shave your head anymore, wouldn't get a haircut. But when the period of time you volunteered to be a Nazarite ended, you would shave your head again as a sign that you were done. So when you saw an Israelite with a shaved head, they were either beginning or ending a Nazarite vow. By allowing his head to be shaved, Samson was announcing that he was done being a Nazarite. In his case, since he was called by God to be a Nazarite for life in order to judge Israel, is like turning in his resignation. Now, Samson's the only judge that God asked, uh, called to be a Nazarite. But for whatever reason, in God's plan and scheme of things, that judge, during this period of time, needed to be a lifelong, from-the-womb Nazarite. And when Samson told the secret of his Nazarite vow and encouraged Delilah to cut his hair, he was turning in his resignation. If Samson wasn't to be Nazarite, then he wouldn't be the judge anymore, and that meant he'd no longer need the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit. There's something about his seven braids. Samson didn't have the scroll of Isaiah to read or John's revelation, but we do. In them, we see that seven is used to describe the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11.2 says there are seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. Seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. And then harking back to that description in Revelation, John calls the Holy Spirit the seven spirits. Not that there are seven of him, but his description is another name for him. Samson's seven locks of never cut hair represented the Holy Spirit upon him, strengthening him. Cut his hair with his permission, and it represented him relinquishing the Spirit. I don't think Samson thought it all through, but I do think that he understood that he was giving up on being a Nazarite. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him and his strength left him. Samson was an extremely sound sleeper. I mean, this guy couldn't be woke up. Even so... This is one brave hairdresser. <laughs> How would you like to pull the short stick on that one? And he said, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, oh, I'll go out as before at other times and shake myself free. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now, this doesn't mean God abandoned him. Samson was still saved. 
God withdrew the empowering of his Holy Spirit. David would later write, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, referring to this uh, situation in the Old Testament where the Spirit would come upon you, but then uh, not necessarily dwell upon you. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit resides within you permanently. He's not going anywhere, but you can forfeit his power. If you refuse to yield to him and instead yield to the flesh, you disconnect from his empowering. It's there, but you are unplugged, as it were. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. The word used regarding Samson's eyes mean they bored them out. I mean, this was a brutal process, as you can imagine. You've probably seen depictions of Samson harnessed to a large grinding apparatus, taking the place of an ox. That's not accurate. He was doing women's work using a simple grinding stone and bowl all day, every day, standing there grinding grain. It was humiliating, not a show of his strength. Verse 22, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. You'd think Samson would have a standing appointment with the prison barber. Maybe on his intake form, nobody checked haircut once a week. For whatever reason, the Philistines thought his strength would not return to him. And I got to thinking about this. Why would they think that? I think it's because the Philistines could not conceive of grace. They could not conceive that after all this, God could or would ever use Samson again. And I can, I can relate to that. I mean, you look at Samson and you think, Samson, we're, you're done. You're toast. You're, you've been shelved. We're through with you. Let's raise up the next judge. Let's get a new hero going. But God still has work for Samson to do even after he has so fallen away from the Lord. And I think the Philistines with their crazy pagan religion and its rights, and they just can't understand the grace of God. Let's face it, a lot of Christians can't understand the grace of God and we are saved in it and are supposed to walk in it. And so if, if you're struggling in some area, you're far from the Lord, God is not done with you. You can come back to the Lord. You can walk with him. You can be empowered by him over whatever it is you're struggling with. Verse 23, now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, the one who multiplied our dead. Fictional fighter Apollo Creed has several colorful nicknames, the master of disaster, the king of sting, the dancing destroyer, the prince of punch, and my favorite, the count of Monte Fisto. Samson had nicknames. He was the destroyer, the one who multiplied our dead. That's why I think we can be sure he did more damage to the Philistines in his 20 years than we have recorded in Scripture. We only have a couple of episodes. They're mighty, but I think he did more to earn these nicknames. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. They stationed him between the pillars. These were not feats of strength. They thought his strength was gone forever. We can only surmise the awful humiliations that they put him through during this time. They put him on display between two load-bearing pillars of the temple. And then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. 
The once powerful hero was able to be led along by a child. That was part of the humiliation. But it worked to Samson's favor because he was able to say, hey, I'd like to lean against the pillars. And it didn't uh, jog anything in this little boy's uh, mind the way it might have in the mind of an adult. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching Samson perform. I can't decide if 3,000 is a total number or just those who were up in the chief seats on the roof. Verse 28, then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now Samson is sincere in his repentance. We know he was because God honors his request. Nevertheless, he still had the eye problem as in thinking this was still somehow about him and not the glory of God. But even so, God was willing to use him. You know, God only uses imperfect people. Have you figured that out yet? I think sometimes we forget that. We think, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. I'm doing really well. Had my devotions. Didn't get up at 3 a.m., but I had, yeah, I had five, four, three, four, five minutes of devotions. Uh, I prayed, you know, no Bible, no breakfast. I read, my Bible was on the table during breakfast, uh, you know, that kind of thing. We think, I'm not in any, you know, terrible sin that I haven't repented of in the last five minutes. And so, you know, uh, that's going to be great. God, you know, can use me and stuff. But he was sincere in his repentance, but he was thinking about himself all the time. Uh, and he wanted vengeance for his eyes, but God used him anyway. And God, is, God always uses us anyway in spite of us, right? That's the point I was trying to make. But I lost my mind there for a minute, as you could tell, if you've been around for a while. I knew if I talked long enough, I'd come back to the point. And now I've lost it again. So let's go to verse 29. <laughs> and Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. I see this as a cry right then. He pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And again, no, I don't see this as a big straining where people start to scream and run. He just pushes and the pillars go down because this is the power of God, not the power of God somehow filtered through his body and in his muscle-bound sense. And so he just pushes and they're gone and he kills a ton of Philistines. And we talk about suicide missions, soldiers who volunteer for them, they don't want to commit suicide, but they know they're probably going to die. It's for the greater good, and we honor them for it. In, in all the great submarine movies, there's always one guy that you know, he, he's, this guy's going to die. Of course, a lot of them do, but you know, this, I remember in U571, I think it is, they have to get this guy, he's the smallest guy on the submarine. He's the only guy that can swim to where they need him to swim in the closed compartment and pull the switch that's going to save the rest of them, but he's not coming back. And so uh, it's a suicide mission, but it's a, it's a glory and honor kind of a thing. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him, brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaal in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. Who knew Samson had brothers? But he did. He had a family and uh, these guys, uh, these Old Testament heroes, just like you and I, men of flesh and blood, but God uses them. He did it imperfectly, but for 20 years, Samson kept the Philistines at bay, giving Israel a measure of rest. Samson relinquished his strength to become like other men. 
He didn't probably realize it was going to happen that way, but he should have, or he should have at least been concerned about it. Obviously, I can't say whether he should have been in Gaza or not, but he shouldn't have been with Delilah. That's clear. That thing or that person you might be lusting after or coveting, is it really worth it to turn your back on the Lord who bought you in order to experience what might bring moments pleasure but a lifetime of regret? What or who is it that makes you stop and say squirrel and gets you off track? You've been delivered from sin. You're not like other men. Don't be quick to relinquish that strength. God the Holy Spirit is in you. Yield to him. Believe that God's commands are his enabling to obey them. If you're in that tough situation we described earlier, but you know it's of the Lord, you can endure it in his strength. You are not like other men and women. Don't lament it and want to be like them. Instead, realize that you are part, even if it's a small part, it's an important part of how God is saving others.